Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Crisis Management. I'm Alicia Sikirska. After an incredibly slow start that featured missed deadlines and constant supply issues, Canada's vaccination effort is finally rolling. So how do we keep it up? To discuss that, I'm joined by Sean Spear. Sean is a fellow in residence at the Public Policy Forum. Okay, so Sean, I want to talk about how to keep the vaccine momentum going and overcoming that vaccine hesitancy, but how you view it as a policy issue, because uh, I understand you have some thoughts on that. So, so what do you think? Well, let me just start from the beginning. You know, up until now, the major obstacle to vaccinations has been um, supply. Um, but now that we have steady supply coming into the country, um, there is a risk going forward that the main obstacle will be demand. Um, in fact, there's evidence in the United States that that's the case, uh, that the kind of slowing in their momentum um, in terms of the country's vaccination rate is not about access to supply. It's that they've kind of covered the low-hanging fruit when it comes to early vaccinations. And now there's a a kind of second subset of the population that uh, is hesitant for any number of reasons. These aren't necessarily kind of hardcore anti-vaxxers. These are people who may be confused or complacent or busy or whatever. And, you know, the question for policymakers is, how can we reach that subsection of the population? How can we kind of tilt um, them in the direction of um, getting vaccinated? And you know, one of the challenges here is that there's sort of a gap between um, personal benefit and personal costs and public benefit and public costs. It's not just a matter uh, of vaccines being good for people. Um, they're ultimately good for us collectively because, of course, um, we need something like 70 or 75 or 80 percent of the population fully vaccinated if we're going to achieve herd immunity. So I, I guess just in some, Alicia, you know, there's a role, it seems to me, for government, for public policy, targeting um, this subsection of the population that may be a bit hesitant to try to incentivize them to get signed up and get vaccinated, both um, in terms of their own personal interest, um, but more importantly, um, in the interest of, of all of us. And, you know, we're starting to see different governments, businesses, universities, and others kind of experimenting with different incentives. And I I think that's something that Canadian policymakers need to turn their, their minds to as well. Yeah. So how do you, I mean, we have known, it seems like the messaging throughout the pandemic has been about how vaccines are going to be so critical for us to get out of it, out of this this uncertainty and, and these lockdowns and, and to back to a full economy. So that argument is out there. So what are, you know, what, what are the different things that, that policymakers could be saying? What are the different approaches that are that can get these groups that are perhaps hesitant for whatever reason to actually buy into this, um, aside from the main argument that we've heard so much that this is their, our path out of the pandemic? Well, 
so far, most of the jurisdictions that I'm familiar with that have experimented with in incentives for vaccinations have prioritized what you might describe as material incentives. That is to say, they're sort of appealing to the financial self-interest of individuals. The, probably the, the one that listeners might be most familiar with is the state of Ohio, which is running a million-dollar lottery every Wednesday for the next five weeks for those who I want one here, yeah. I want to sign up for it. No, no kidding. Um, but but <laughs> yeah. that, the basic premise there is that you know financial incentives, tar, you know, directed to people's uh, material self-interest is the way to get them signed up and vaccinated. And there's no doubt, Alicia, that on the margins that's going to help. I think there's even evidence that they've seen a bit of a jump um, in um, vaccinations in Ohio since that plan was announced. But what I've argued in a, a recent essay along with a um, policy scholar named Brian Dykma is that um, the most effective incentive wouldn't merely be focused on uh, material conditions. It would also have a, a, a moral aspect to it that in effect, it would combine uh, an appeal to self-interest with an appeal to social solidarity. There seems to be evidence in the kind of policy scholarship that it's that sweet spot between self-interest and solidarity that seems to have the most powerful impact on individual behavior. Right. And so kind of a mix of that, as you mentioned, material incentive and moral incentive, I believe is how you you framed it in the paper. But through the pandemic, we've seen there's been hesitancy around things like masks and, and things that uh, in normal times perhaps would think were not controversial, but you know, science has been questioned. How do you overcome that? In, in this rollout and, and getting those people on board? It's a great question. Um, you know, I think I would say a couple of things. You know, one of the reasons that there have been the issues that you describe is that, um, particularly in the United States, questions that ought to be, you know, rooted in science or evidence have become infused with politics. You know, wearing a mask is no longer a public health issue. It's an expression of one's political identity. I don't think we quite have that problem in Canada. Um, you know, I wonder if um, the type of moralistic or solidaristic appeal that I'm referring to may have more kind of salience in Canada. Um, and just the last thing I would say, um, you know, be concrete, because I'm talking in, you know, somewhat abstract terms, is the case that we make is not that the government should be offering individuals cash um, to get vaccinated, that which would in effect just be a, a sort of material appeal, that they should be um, providing um, resources so that people can make donations to local charities um, that have suffered in the context of the pandemic. So Canada Helps is an online platform that p enables people to make donations to registered charities. And we propose that the government, in effect, make 60 or 90 or $100 available to each Canadian as they're vaccinated um, so that they can choose to deploy um, that payment um, to a charity of their choice. I wonder if that's the sort of sweet spot between material and moral um, that will hopefully help cause more Canadians to, to get signed up and get vaccinated and ultimately to get us um, on the, the right path towards herd immunity. Interesting. So essentially, uh, if you get fully vaccinated, that the government would basically donate to a charity of your choice. I like that idea. And I think... <laughs> 
if you didn't, you'd feel pretty bad because you're depriving potentially your your charity of some some funding that they wouldn't otherwise get. Exactly, and there's you know just overwhelming evidence, Alicia, that um, the Canadian charitable sector, like other parts of our economy and society, have taken a big hit during the pandemic. There's been some programs made available to charities, but I would say on ballots, um, it's been part of society that's been largely neglected by policymakers as they've thought about, you know, how to provide relief and where to target. And so, you know, this strikes us as a bit of a twofer, you know, in the sense that it would hopefully help encourage people to get vaccinated and it would provide a bit of an infusion into a, a, a crucial part of our a society, but one that has um, suffered under the, the, the weight of the pandemic. Yeah, it just it sounds win win because it would be helping uh boost the sector that's been struggling so much through the pandemic, as well as potentially increase our vaccination numbers and, and yeah, help the economy in that way too. That's the underlying motivation. And I would just say one thing um, about potential costs, because one of the reservations may be that, you know, something like this could be costly for governments and, you know, governments are running large scale deficits and, you know, there's a concern about our ability to pay for these deficits and, and so on. And I would just say that the short-term cost would be more than uh, offset by the benefits associated with getting to herd immunity threshold faster. You know, we estimate in the paper, depending on how a government went about designing this idea, it might cost something like three to five billion dollars, which in the grand scheme of things, you know, is relatively inconsequential if if it does um, achieve those two goals that you described. One. Uh, encouraging people to get vaccines and to providing um, support to the charitable sector. If, if I could just make one other point, because um, it, 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 it's, it's, it's really, um, it speaks to something you, you mentioned earlier. It's not just about providing support to the charitable sector writ large. You know, one of the problems with the different relief programs that governments have rolled out targeting Canadian charities is that they've tended to prioritize large-scale charities, um, maybe ones that um, have a higher profile or um, have the resources to, you know, carry out advocacy work vis-a-vis the government. And it's not to diminish those groups. United Way and others carry out important work in our country and our communities. But by enabling individual Canadians to choose where, uh, which charities those dollars go to, it seems to me there's a greater likelihood that we get more diversity in terms of which groups are supported many of which um, people may not have heard of before, but that are doing really great work in individual communities. So by decentralizing these decisions, I think it would ensure that uh, it's not just the big national groups that are supported, but groups, you know, in communities all over the country that, you know, may not have the profile, but that do really important work. Yeah. Well, it's a really innovative and interesting solution. Uh, I think keep a close eye and see if the government considers something at least like this, because uh, it, it does, as I mentioned before, seem like win, win, win on multiple fronts. Well, thank you, Sean, for this. That's all for today. For more episodes of Crisis Management, please check out Yahoo Finance Canada's website. Thanks for tuning in.